Father, we thank you for Christ, our Savior. As we enter into this season of Lent and think especially about the passion and the sacrifice of Christ, I pray that you'll stir our hearts anew for what you've done for us and that we might respond in gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. We pray that your spirit would anoint our worship today. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin this morning. Uh, one of them are faith promise cards, and um, we are collecting those. Uh, we want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to, to participate in this uh, opportunity to serve and to give and to stretch our faith. And so uh, if you're ready to turn that in, you can just tear off the smaller end and put that in the offering plate and keep the other part and be in prayer over the next months about how God 
He's going to supply. If you're not ready to, to uh, turn in your card today, you can do it over the next few weeks. But uh, we are praying for God to help us as we trust Him in, uh, in a significant way uh, with our giving. Also, you see a note about the insert about the women's retreat this coming Saturday. And there's information there about that. Uh, we, as I mentioned last week, we started we're doing, during the Thursdays of Lent. We are offering a, having a 24-hour prayer vigil. It begins at 6 a.m. Thursday, ends at 6 a.m. Friday. You can sign up this morning in the back foyer or anytime online. Reserve a spot in the prayer room. And uh, we're also having corporate times of corporate prayer at uh, 10 a, uh, noon, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. And we had some great times this week as we shared communion together and uh, spent time praying together. And we'd love to have you be a part of that as well. And uh, you see information in the bulletin about that. And you just come. It's in the basement here of the sanctuary. And uh, we gather together during those times. Uh, also, uh, you'll remember, notice, if you haven't already, I've uh, started on the remodel project of the offices. So the door uh, over here going into the office hallway is not available. So if you, when you're away to the Christian Education Building, you want to probably go through the foyer doors this way. Uh, if you go that way, it'll be locked and you'll have to walk around in the cold. So just want to uh, make you aware of that again. At this time, we're going to ask the ushers to come and to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. God, my God, I cry out, your beloved needs you now. God, be near, calm my fear, and take my doubt. Your kindness is what pulls me up. Your love is all that draws me in. I will lift my eyes 
Lord calls us to come to him in prayer. In this moment, we pray together. The altar is open. If you'd like to use it as the place where you offer your prayers. Father, we come to this moment of prayer because we know that life has a tendency to be difficult, stressful, demanding. And because we know that you alone are the answers to the answer to all the struggles of life. We come to this moment of prayer because we believe that you are good and merciful. And because we know that you are the almighty sovereign God of all. We come to pray. In order to declare that we trust you. And we know that you hear us when we pray. Lord we come today with all kinds of struggles. Fear. Anxiety. Greed, lust, power, self-centeredness, gossip, anger, unrealized expectations, grades, spouse, child, parent, girlfriend, boyfriend, job, next steps in life. Spiritual stagnancy, pride, bitterness, loneliness. Well, there are all kinds of things that burden us and weigh us down. We lay them all at your feet today. Father, we pray for those who are struggling with Specific things in this life. And we think of Laurel Martell and her family at the death of her mother this week. Pray for your comforting grace upon each of them. We pray for all who are grieving and ask for your peace and mercy in their lives. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. Eula Avery, Jill Tyson, Priscilla Waltz. Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and for others who may be on our hearts and minds today. We ask for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray for our world. Pray for the world that is not too far from us. I think especially of the ministry of Compass Care in Rochester and of the Hepzibah Home in Georgia. As they minister your grace to families and people in crisis, we pray that they would truly be beacons of grace and light and hope. We pray for the world that extends beyond our nation those who are suffering from the flooding in Mozambique. We pray that you will bring relief for all who are still struggling from the Ebola crisis. We pray that you will bring healing and an end to it. For those of our brothers and sisters who are suffering, we think of the families in Egypt These Christians who were murdered this week. We pray that you would comfort them in their grief. Help them to see you and to know your spirit with them in this tragic time of grief and loss. We pray for these pastors in South Sudan, Pastor Michael, Pastor Yen, being held by government forces and 
We ask that you would, you would release them. We pray that you would give them grace and protection. And we pray that even in their confinement, they might bear witness to your love and mercy to Christ. Father, we pray for us as a church in this season of Lent as we set aside some special time for prayer. We pray that that you will help us to engage in these times with your spirit and with each other. That we will sense you at work in us individually and corporately bringing your grace upon each of us. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your mercy poured out upon us. We offer our prayers in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Please stand for the gospel reading. And after the scripture, the children may be dismissed for children's church. There is no junior church today. This was from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
Please be seated. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand more of what it means to be your children, your followers, to be connected to Christ. In his name we pray, amen. There are um, jokes made about most professions. You, uh, you heard jokes made about um, doctors, lawyers, accountants, farmers. I mean, the whole gamut. I doubt if there are any that are left out. And that includes ministers as well. You know, one of the, the great lines that here is, you know, it must be nice to work one day a week. Uh, it's always funny to me because, you know, I think it's funny people say that. I mean, they're joking. They're teasing. But they always, they always say it like that's the first time you've ever heard that joke from them. <laughs> heard that before. Um, I, I read about a guy who said that he has some friends who uh, love to, to tease him about, uh, the, about being a minister, and they'll call him in the middle of a weekday morning and say, oh, did I wake you up? Uh, or, you know, they'll say, you know, if you have a, you got it made. If you, have a, if you have a good day, you get up, you study a little bit, make a few calls, you know, do whatever you want. If it's a bad day, you just roll over and say your prayers. And he said, you know, I, I, I said to, he said, one guy said that to me and he said, I said to him, your comment tells me two things about you. One is that you don't know very much about the ministry. And the second is, you know, even less about prayer. When I read that, I thought that's so true to think that prayer is just rolling over and saying a few words is to completely miss what the scriptures and the history of God's people has taught us about prayer. We probably, all of us, struggle with prayer. We struggle to understand it. We struggle to grasp what exactly is going on in the middle of it. We struggle to do it. It's a part of our human nature to wrestle with this. And I think it's probably because it's so deeply ingrained in the spiritual dimension of who we are and what's important to us. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see him committing himself to pray. And we get maybe the clearest example of that as he comes to the garden. In these last hours before his arrest and eventual crucifixion. Jesus, on this night, Jesus has uh, gathered together his disciples in the upper room. He has shared with them this this meal, this supper. And and he's talked with them about uh, what's to come. And as they make their way from the room to the garden, he talks to them about the struggle that they're going to face and the difficulties that that, that are going to come upon them and the opposition and how so they're going to fall away. I mean, he's very specific with Peter. He says, you're going to deny me. And to a man, they say, we would never do that. And they come to the garden and Jesus says to Eight of the disciples, Judas has already fled, says to eight of them, you sit here while I go pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John further into the olive grove. And he begins to pray. Mark gives us one of the most dramatic and and descriptive pictures of Jesus in prayer. In verse 33, he says, my soul is troubled, overwhelmed to the point of sorrow and death. 
he uses words to, to describe the anguish and the agony in Jesus' soul. In fact, he keeps piling up these words. It's as though he's trying to describe the indescribable. Jesus is overwhelmed, he says himself, with sorrow about what's ahead of him. You think for a moment of, of the most difficult moment of your life, the time when you felt the most weight and anguish and, and pain deep in your being, worry about what's ahead, fear about what's ahead, anxiety about what's ahead. And I think in those moments, if you can remember, we get just a glimpse of what Jesus is experiencing. It's here in this moment that we see full out the, the, the humanity of Christ. Now, there are people who will say that what Jesus is, is feeling, the anguish and the sorrow that he's experiencing is because of the physical pain he's about to endure. And, and I think that's probably a part of it. I mean, he knows what the Romans do to people they consider criminals. He understands at least somewhat what's ahead for him physically. And if you remember a few years back in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that, that movie depicted so clearly the physical pain that Jesus endured. And quite frankly, that would frighten, that would, that would bring anxiety to any of us. But I am convinced that it's not so much the physical pain that Jesus is thinking about as he's in the garden. I think it's the emotional, spiritual pain that he is about to experience. He knows he came into the world to, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And to bring in the fullness of God's kingdom. And a significant part of that is to deal with our sin. And dealing with our sin means taking upon himself the sins of the world. Jesus is probably about 33 or so years old. And he's never sinned. And that means he's never known the guilt of sin. He's never woken up in the morning feeling overwhelmed with remorse about what he did last night. He's never lied to anyone and had to deal with that. He's never been passive aggressive towards someone who has hurt him or retaliated against someone who hurt him. He's never experienced that sense of guilt and remorse and shame that we have experienced. He has no concept of that. But on the cross, he is going to take upon himself the sins of the world, and he's going to feel all of that, all that that means. The shame, the guilt, the remorse. And ultimately, that sense of wondering about whether his father still loves him and cares for him. Those feelings that you and I have when we wrestle with sin. I am convinced that that is weighing upon him as he thinks about what is about to take place. And I wonder if when he prays, Lord, when this cup pass from me, if he isn't saying, do I ha- I'm willing to, to take on the sins of the world, but do I have to feel all of that that's going to eventually cause me to feel separated from you? And in that moment of anguish and pain, feeling overwhelmed with sorrow about what's to take place, what does he do? He doesn't run from it. He doesn't run away from the Father. He runs to the Father. His first recourse 
his answer, his solution is to pray. It's what we've seen with Jesus throughout all of his life. Moment after moment, we see through the Gospels, he walks away. He goes to a solitary place. He's facing these crisis moments and he prays. It's the regular practice of his life. And so now he comes to this, the crisis moment. And the most natural thing in the world is for him to pray. It's his first recourse. I I suspect that may not always be our first recourse. In fact, we often, you know, we'll talk about situations and we will even, you'll even hear people say, well, I guess all that's left for us to do now is to pray. We've done everything we can do. Our last resort, not our first resort, our last resort is, I guess we better pray. Or sometimes we'll say to folks, how can I help you? I mean, I'll pray for you, but how can I really help you? Right? And just a subtle sense of, I mean, we believe in prayer, we believe in the power of prayer, but something in us believes that prayer is passive. And Jesus seems to tell us that prayer is active. Hen Robinson, who was my professor when I was at Gordon-Conwell, made, told, talked to us once about this. And he said, when, when he reads this, he said it, he gets a sense that, we think about prayer, that for us, prayer is preparation for the battle. But for Jesus, prayer is the battle. He says, for Jesus, prayer is like running the marathon and ministry is like going and getting your gold medal. For Jesus, prayer is is taking the final exam and ministry is going to get your diploma. And we tend to think that prayer is sort of just the prelude to the real battle. But Jesus seems to imply that prayer is the battle. That everything is won or lost in prayer. No wonder it's so important to him. No wonder it's his first recourse. He says, you know, when you read, when you read the, the story in the Gospels, he said, if I'd have been there, I, I think I would have said, man, if, if Jesus is this uh, agonized, When he's in prayer, what's he going to do when he faces the real crisis? I mean, his his friends have have figured it out. I mean, they're just sleeping peacefully. They've 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 got it made. They're done. They figured it out. But we know that when people when the soldiers arrive, it's Jesus who sets his face toward the cross. It's the disciples who run away and hide. I think if we could get a grasp that prayer is the battle, that our lives are won or lost in prayer, I think it would change so much about how we pray. Mark tells us that uh, after Jesus leaves the larger group of disciples and takes Peter, James, and John on into the olive grove. He then says to them, stay here, pray, keep watch, and I'm going to go a little further in. And he's speaking physically about his physical movements, but there's something figurative about that as well. That, That Jesus goes a little farther and, and he prays. And there's something about, something in that, in that image of going farther. And I suspect often our prayers just sort of sit on the surface. There's not a, a depth of, of our soul and our being often in our prayers. Sometimes, quite frankly, they're just words that we say. We, and, and we're repeating things over and over again. And that's okay. We pray for the same things over and over again. The scripture teaches us to do that. But are they words 
Or is it coming from the depths of our hearts? Is it that sense of staying with prayer long enough that that we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into our spirits and our beings as we pour our hearts out to God and as we open our hearts to let God speak into our lives? I remember when I was when I was a child and a teenager and we would have services where people came to the altar and prayed, whether it's for salvation or for a need in their life. I can remember that often uh, my dad or others who would be kneeling with this person, praying with them, they got done praying and they would ask them a question. They said, you know, have have you have you prayed through? Some of you may know that phrase. I'm not sure I really understood it in the moment, but I think there's something to that. That 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 there was a recognition in those in that in those words about the battle of prayer. And they would encourage people to not get up until they felt like they had prayed through, that they had had prayed to the very depths of their being. And that whatever the issue might have been, that they'd come to the place of surrendering and settling it. And they were unwilling to just stop at the surface or even down a layer or two, but to get all the way down into the depths of whatever the issue might be. And to truly come to the place they could say, As far as I know, as much as I know, I've surrendered it to Christ. And in that moment, it was a recognition of the battle won or lost in prayer. But that doesn't happen magically. That doesn't happen without a sense of investment of ourselves, our time, our energies in our prayers to God. One of my spiritual heroes is Dennis Kinlaw. He has uh, been an inspiration to me in so many ways through the years of, of my life. And I heard him talk once about when he was a freshman in college and uh, he, he said he, you know, he, he went to college and, and he, he went to so one of the, probably the, the best thing about his life, maybe the only good thing in his life, was that he had this passion to know Christ. He had a passion to please Christ and to follow Christ. And through the course of his freshman year, he was befriended by a senior student who he deeply admired. Godly man. And one day in conversation... Dr. Kinlaw said to him, you know, I have this desire to be like Christ. What, what can I do to be more and more like Christ? And he said this, the student said to him, asked him a question. How much time do you spend in prayer? He said, I'm pretty sure I probably lied to him and exaggerated it. But I, I said something to him and he said he gave me just a two word answer. He said, double it. And then he walked away into the conversation. Kinlaw said, you know, I was working my way through school. I was working at a bakery, getting up early in the morning, going to work. He said, you know, it was hard. I was already getting up pretty early, but I decided that I wanted to do what he thought would help. And so I set my alarm for an hour earlier and I began to get up. And he said, I can't, only God knows how many mornings I fell asleep on my knees praying. But he said, I don't regret that at all. Because what started out as a habit became a delight. And it set a pattern for my life. He said, there are things you look back on your, on your life. He said, there are moments that are, that are watershed moments in your life. He said, I can look back and I can see a a few of those moments. That's one of them. Because it set a pattern for my life about what was going to be important. And the time invested in prayer was time invested in the battle. 
wonder what would happen if as a church we, we committed to each other to, to double our time in prayer. Now we can say, well, you know, how much time you spend in prayer is less significant than how much we engage in prayer. And there's truth to that. But quite frankly, the things that are important to us, we give our time to. We all know it's true. During the season of Lent, people have a tendency to give up things. It's a good practice. It's, it's a time to remember the sacrifice of Christ by making minor sacrifices in our lives. And sometimes people give up certain kinds of food or sometimes people give up different kinds of entertainment. The variety of things that people might give up for Lent. But there's also a practice of not just giving up for Lent, but taking on for Lent. And what if, collectively, we all said, we're going to take on more time in prayer during the season of Lent. It's it's so important to us. We recognize the significance of it. We recognize that prayer is the battle. The battles are won or lost. The battles of our lives are so often determined in prayer. That collectively, we're going to invest more of ourselves. This is one of the reasons we are doing this prayer vigil event. We're setting aside time on Thursday, both to have individual times to pray and these corporate times to pray. It's an opportunity for us to say, I'm going to make whatever sacrifice I need to make to pray more, to give myself more time so that... I can hear God, so I can speak to God, so I can build my relationship with Christ a little bit more. Not just giving up, though that's a part of it, but taking on as well. And I want to encourage you, as I'm encouraging myself, to engage ourselves more in prayer. To think this morning about where we can find maybe even twice as much time. Whatever time you may be doing to find twice as much to spend praying and meditating on the scriptures. Encountering God. It's that important to Jesus. If it's that important to Jesus, it's surely needs to be that important to us. This morning we're coming to this table to eat the bread and drink the cup. And and what we do here draws us back to the cross. And what Christ has done for us on the cross. But what Christ did for us on the cross is rooted And what he did with the Father in the garden. I don't know what crosses we may be called to bear. But I'm convinced. That the success or the failure of bearing them. Will be rooted in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. Forgive us that we so often take this gift for granted. That we so often are more interested in other things than in time with you. Give us grace to see what Jesus sees. Father, as we come to this table, we remember that you loved us so much, 
You gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. He suffered and died for the sin of the world, including ours. And you raised him from the dead that we too might have new life. And he ascended to be with you in glory. And according to his promise, is with us always. We pray that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. That in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ. That we may be one body in him. That we may faithfully serve him together in your world. And look forward to his coming in final victory. In his name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. But this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And gave it to his disciples. Saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. Which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this. Do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by Rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If uh, coming to the front is difficult for you, we have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here as well and cups. Just let me know as you come forward and I can serve you those. I, I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to, to know Christ and to be known by Him, then come receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.